Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. Hi, I'm Catherine Mahoney. That's Catherine with a C, Noe in the middle. Thank you to my mum for a million emails I probably never received. I'm a, an English girl, as you might be able to tell from my accent. I have lived in Sydney for 20 years. I love living here. I was a publicist for that entire time. I'm a Capricorn. I never leave the house without a red lip. I have a crystal in my bra. I have crystals actually today in my bra. Uh, I have one child that I know of. He's 12. His name's Lewis. I like to embarrass him daily, if not, you know, sort of hourly. I have two podcasts. So that, as my friend called me, the pod mother the other day. And I was like, I don't know if I like that or not, but I'll roll with it. My guest today is Kath Mahoney. She's a podcast host for So I Quit My Day Job and then a global pandemic struck. (laughs) She's the self-confessed oversharer with no filter, except when she's Instagramming photos, of course. She's from the northeast of England, which I think has a lot to do with her hilarious and self-deprecating humour because being married to a northerner myself, I hear it. If you don't learn to laugh, you end up drunk or depressed. I've known Kath for almost 20 years now and we've both worked at Sony together in the early 2000s and because of her ability to make every situation full of laughter, she was the publicist that every artist wanted to hang out with and a people magnet in general. Roll on many years, lots of life, a marriage, a son, an incredible network of friends and colleagues. Kath is still making people laugh and this is exactly what we did the whole way through this podcast conversation. Listen in to this fascinating interview with Kath Mahoney. For once, she's answering the questions and I know that a lot of you would be curious about hearing about her. She's amazing. She's hilarious. She's a curly-haired Capricorn and we find out what makes her tick. Gives me goosebumps. I loved it. It was the best time I've had for a long time. Hi, Kath. It's so great to have you chat with me today for a moment with Modern Mentors. This series is called A Call for Change and change is really what you're all about. And we can see that it's resonating with others too through your own podcast success for So I Quit My Day Job. Inspiring to listen to if you're you know, thinking about going through a career change of some kind. What a turn of events. You're usually in my seat asking all the questions, but this time today, the focus is on you. And I know I'm not alone when I say that it's time we heard about you. Thank you, Mia. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I wanted to start with just kind of introducing you to the listeners. So thanks for that. And I guess, you know, acknowledging where we met, which was probably coming up for 20 years ago at Sony Music in Australia. And you were and still are one of the most hilarious people that, you know, I'd come across at that point. And in that environment of Sony music, which was, it was pretty serious sometimes. Yes. It definitely worked well to have a fun and funny person around. And you really kind of milked that humour side <laughs> of yourself, I feel, in that environment. Tell us a little bit about how you end up, ended up in Australia and kind of how you landed in Sony music. Oh gosh, you know, I followed a boy. Don't tell me always, gosh, bless him. Yeah, I lived in I lived in London for a few years in the lead up to 99 and I was very much in love with a, a guy from Brisbane. He was a photographer. He'd had enough of seeing no sunshine and being in London and uh yeah, we came 
we came back in 99. So I landed, I went from Soho, London, busy to Brisbane in 1999. Brisbane is now one of my favorite cities in the world, but in 1999, it was a little bit less London and <laughs> a little bit more like a big town. And it was boiling hot. And I just remember I used to straighten my hair because it was friends that time. So it was the <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. It was, you know, it's like the Rach. So that was a nightmare because I just, I would like straighten one side of my hair in Brisbane. And then by the time I did, it was just, I had to let it go. I had to let it go. But when I was in Brisbane, I was lucky enough to work for one of their street press that they had called Time. I always get it confused with Time Off and Time Out. Time Off, it was called. It was a free street paper. I, I did all sorts of jobs there. It meant getting to see, you know, gigs like Coldplay, you know, in a venue with 800 people after they just played in Glastonbury. So I was a huge music fan. It was like my dream job. And I really got on with the Sony rep, Stu, who I'm still mates with. He's not at Sony anymore either. We just had banter and, and my partner was ready to move to Sydney and I was excited about that. And then there was a coordinator job that came up in Sydney and Stu was like, you should go for it. I remember we had like a video teleconference, you know, <laughs> I'm not even sure if we're the internet back in 99. I'm sure we did. But uh, we certainly didn't have anything cool like this. So it's a big video interview with John Saxon, who I think was 2IC at the time, and Joe Grogan, who ended up being my boss. And I got the job. And I just remember going back to the UK for Christmas. It was the Christmas of 2000. Destiny's Child, Independent Woman was like number one. And they were on Columbia. And I was going to be working with them. And I just remember, I just... Oh gosh, my heart burst. I just, it was yeah. an absolute dream job. And, oh yeah. yeah. That's how I ended up in Sony. I mean, yeah. we got paid pretty much in CDs back then. <laughs> Didn't get a lot of money. I mean, but it was okay. You could barter. You could barter for your haircut and stuff with your, your promo copies. So yeah. So you, you kind of got your dream job at Sony and you started off as coordinator, but you were a publicist, right? Yeah, I was coordinator. I was the publicity and promotions coordinator for Columbia. So within that role, I would work with like the teen press and, you know, Smash Hits and Juice magazine and Rolling Stone. Then we had somebody else that would take the artist to radio. But yeah, when we had international stars, it was all hands on deck. And, you know, next yeah. thing you know, you are working with people like Destiny's Child. And Beyonce going, you've got great hair. Yeah. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> I wish that there was Instagram or I didn't just have my brick phone back then because I would have, that would have been my, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I remember that. having, like, everyone had a pin board at Sony yeah. with all their, you know, famous shots yeah. up on these, with these little droopy pieces of coloured print-off paper. <laughs> but look, there's me and Pearl Jam. <laughs> me and James Taylor. You just can't see us because the, the inks run. Yeah, it, was, it was amazing. And I, I, you know, I think back, we were so lucky in Australia because it was somewhere that the artists wanted to come because it was like a great holiday, not holiday, they worked very hard. But we got up close and personal, you know, didn't we? we I remember getting too up close and personal with J-Lo <laughs> on a very small yacht when we were presenting her with an award and I was standing directly behind her holding the big award that was like really heavy. And she took a little shuffle back and she just ended up sort of perched, her bottom was perched on my hand. Okay. And I'd only been with the company a month. And I was like, shit, if I move my hand, she'll think I've tried to touch her bum. I'm going to get the sack. I'm getting sweaty. She's got white pants on. Oh, my God. Anyway, she sort of dismounted and I still had my job. So I think maybe she didn't feel it. But it was, it was peachy moments like that. You know, it was But for a music fan. It was wonderful. And I was, me and the photographer had split up quite early on in my time 
at Sony and it became your friends. It was your friends and your family. Yeah. We worked, we worked really long hours, didn't we? And you, yeah. if you loved it and you did it because you knew, or so we were told, <laughs> there'd be a hundred people behind you ready to take your job. So you just, <laughs> you did it. But I mean, you know, looking back, it was, it was brilliant. It was so much fun. Well, what I remember so much about that time is that someone when I started and everyone seemed to have been there for 15 years, do you remember? Like they, they were in for a while. Not leaving. Not leaving. And one of the people that said, oh, it used to be great here. There used to be kind of junkets galore. And now you've come at, not, not you've come, but you've come at a time at the end of it where it's no longer junkets. And I thought to myself, this place doesn't survive without junkets. It was literally parties and events. Yeah. 24 7 there and it was I mean being in publicity I was in digital so I was in the nerdy part of the business you were in publicity you were where the hub, the hub of it was happening you were ahead of your time in digital. <laughs> didn't even know what digital was back then did we no, no it was great you know I mean look for me you're always the person that had to have the mints you know on hand <laughs> for somebody to go into an interview you're always the person that had to loiter and listen in case the, an interviewee wanted to go somewhere that the, the guest or the star didn't want to yeah you had to sort of it was so attention to detail was kind mm. of the motto in that place, wasn't it? From the you had to down. know what they wanted before they wanted it. Before they wanted it. I remember one tour, like it ended and they left. And I remember just the next morning I'd run out of toilet paper. Like, and I had to use a tea towel because you're so, you're so concerned with everyone else that you came home and you went, I've got nothing to eat. I've got red bills to pay and I'm using a tea towel. This is really bad, you know? So you kind of, it was, it was very lopsided, I suppose. But yeah, it's just what yeah. we did. It was brilliant. I think one of your, you know, one of the things that, you know, you kind of resonate with me the most is your ability to kind of turn up in any situation and kind of have a conversation and obviously you've got the gift the gab and you're funny and but you know working with artists is a whole nother level right where you really you're kind of at the mercy of their moods to some extent and really kind of almost need to be invisible or their best friend at the drop of a hat how did you kind of was that something you learned at sony or you'd already kind of experienced that and obviously has that helped you with where you're at now i don't think i've got a lot of skills <laughs> I went to uni and did media studies, which my dad kindly refers to as a Mickey Mouse degree. And I mean, he's pretty right. It's pretty vague what we studied at Manchester. But I think what I've always had is the ability to read a room and to read people and to know when to do my funnies and to know when to step back and, and to know when to be sensitive and to know, I guess it's it's just being mercurial. And I think that's... um. I think that is an inbuilt skill that most public publicists I certainly know mm -hmm. have got. Yeah. Because you really have to read the room, you know, and you, you realise that that's crucial. That's crucial at a time when you can see someone smiling, but you know them well enough to know that that's a smile that says, this person, we need to leave now. This person's yeah. just asked me a question about my ex-husband. You know, you're like, okay, thanks, we're going to wrap it up now. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and I suppose also with being that middle person between media and artists, you're there's that sensitivity that goes with trying to them trying to push the boundaries and you trying to manage that situation. Yeah, I remember that we had one interview with I think it was Neil Diamond. This was a a phoner, like you know when he's when he came here, he was always very generous with the promo schedule. But we had one phoner, and I remember it had to go. I think it was I think I've got it right. It went to Alan Jones at the time because he had more listeners than John Laws, although John Laws, you know, traditionally is, is someone you would have given that interview to. It was just, 
it was just a, a lose-lose. You know, you had <laughs> one interview and you had two people and only one of them was going to take, you know, it was just, but yeah. I, remember the, I remember the phone running hot after that and it was the, you know, the Allens team thanks and the other team, what? And you were like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't very good at, at that bit. You were like, oh, I just hide under my desk, but yeah. So you had your time at Sony and then through that period you met your husband and had Lewis. That was kind of... 12 12 years ago is that right yeah I I met Andrew when I'd been at Sony a few years it was another kind of I think it's another seven years before we had Lou but yeah I met I met Andrew he was the only artist that I worked with that I you know that I married (laughs) I got (laughs) one that I I did some special duties for uh (laughs) yes and that was only because he was a former sportsman and we did this is how long ago it is we did dvds we did like the best sportsman dvds yeah it it was a project that I knew he wasn't going to be having another album or another tour that so that you know when the project finished we we went on our first date 2002 that was back in the day yeah geez <laughs> and then but the, the he took you away from Sydney and you went and moved to Newcastle isn't that right yeah we were together for about I think it was about four and a half years and he he played sports for a team in Newcastle so he was very much based there and he had a young son that lived there too so you know after four years Newcastle is just two hours north of Sydney so I think after four years of that drive you know something's got to give and and it was you know as, as it is often with a woman, although, you know, his situation was different. I, I left my dream job. Oh, no regrets. <laughs> although there are some regrets now because we divorced. So sometimes I look back and go, I wonder what would have happened. But yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of had a bit of a career shift and then Lewis came along and life became kind of family orientated for a while or how, what happened in that? Yeah, time? We, we had a breakup, you know, we, we had a bumpy ride. We had almost 13 great issues, most of them great, but we had a couple of bumps. Long time. During, long marriage. Long, you know, in dog years, that's like 40 years. So I feel <laughs> were committed to a long time we had a breakup and I, I Newcastle hadn't worked out for me work-wise I really missed working and being having my identity yeah. his identity was so enormous I just I didn't find work in our field up there yeah and so I came back and got a job at Channel 9 which was wonderful so I was a publicist there about three years before Lou came along so yes yeah. and so and we reconciled I didn't have Lewis on my own <laughs> we did reconcile oh okay so you 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 were married split and then had Lou afterwards no we split got back together got married had Lou right okay like it's um, like Dallas it's like a, it's like an episode of Dallas <laughs> very modern or, or EastEnders, depending on where you're from yeah you could have got married to him again <laughs> No, I think we're okay. <laughs> it, was, it was all a dream. It was all a dream, Bobby. Yeah. I think one of the things that is interesting to talk about is kind of like when you're in the, you know, you'd spend a lot of time kind of looking after someone else's identities when you're working at Sony, being a publicist, and then you married someone with a very big profile. And then really, I think what you kind of, you know, where you're going with that is that you found yourself again when you had your job you know, your new job back in Sydney. What did that feel like? Because I think that's something that's really, you know, it's an it's important part when you yeah. feel like you're giving yourself away to people. Yeah, of 
Look, I think, you know, I'll, I'll never forget, because when I got, um, Eddie Maguire was running Channel 9 at the time, and in my last interview before I got the job, because Andrew and his brother were contracted to 9 at the time, and we weren't together, Eddie and Jeff Brown did the very last interview, and they were like, you know, and, and the Johns brothers are on the network, is that a problem? And, and the split had been quite amicable, and it lasted, oh my God, all of eight weeks. Uh, <laughs> but at this moment, I was like, it's fine, I can work here, it's not, we didn't have a big drama, it's okay. And anyway, so by the time I accepted the job and I started at, um, I started Sydney Confidential, God bless them. And I love JMO and JMO wasn't the person that wrote this, but they wrote, you know, jobs for the boys and now jobs for the boys' girlfriends. <laughs> I basically wrote a story saying I got the job because of him. And I was like, I got the job when we weren't together. And it was like, you know, it was one of those, but as a publicist, you go, no probs, because I'm going to have to call you and hopefully get a story placed. So thanks. You know? That's right. Yeah. No probs. <laughs> great. Yeah. So it, it had, it was a double-edged sword being with somebody, I think. Um, yeah. In the spotlight and having a role as a publicist where I had mm. to, you know, week in, week out, talk to, talk to the press and talk to entertainment writers or gossip writers knowing full well that we could potentially be fodder the week after you know so yeah. that's when I started to feel less Catherine probably and instead of going to my usual default which is self-deprecation and oversharing you could hear yourself almost sort of pause when you were going to answer something going you know if I if I make a flippant comment about the weekend will that be a thing you know it was very mm. this you had a, a Megan, Megan Markle moment oh geez Louise <laughs> <laughs> not that was, that no was... Way to that. <laughs> but no it was you know like to give it context and this was in a time before social media thank goodness but yeah. but I got stalked and it's quite scary in in the end they turned out to be two clearly unhinged sisters from orange but at the time I didn't we didn't know who they were and it's quite scary and it went to the police you know and and when when they were found they were arrested and it was all going to court you know and that I remember saying to mum and dad back home our story was the main story on the front of the paper. And then there was a little column about a guy called Ronald Reagan who died. You know, I was like, I said to mum and dad, it, it's quite, not crazy, but the, the focus on sport was, yeah. I mean, I suppose sport in, in football in the UK is the same, but it was. It you was, were, you yeah. were in the, in the spotlight on it. Yeah, it just, yeah. And I think, I mean, you know, the Johns brothers profile at that time got, bigger and bigger and bigger over a period right so it was kind of I guess you've probably felt a lot of that pressure I can imagine that must have been very you know you were probably the best person for it because you'd seen it so much through your career so you probably know how knew how to handle it better than most people but but you don't you know you think you do yeah. and I'll never forget walking into Sony lovely Cassandra that used to work there like I'd often get snapped but it would be if there'd been a drama or, or if he'd been injured, you know, so maybe you're not doing your best face as a captain. <laughs> and then Cass would go, oh, have you seen the photo of you in the Australian? It's awful. I'm like, oh. thanks, Cass. <laughs> so, so, you know, I do think, gosh, I'm so glad that that was, you know, all over before the advent of kind of social media and, yes. you know, God, more, more worse photos of you all around <laughs> Yes. What do you so what do you kind of take away from that part of your life? Because that you know, it was 13, 14 years as a significant yeah. piece of time, especially yeah. in a country that's not your own. How how did that kind of journey transpire for you? Yeah, look, I think 
I'm six years down the track and, you know, Lewis is 12 and I would give Andrew and I a really solid five out of five for co-parenting. You know, I'm, I'm really chuffed with the way that we're able to do that. You know, did we, you know, was it, was it a lovely split? Were we like Chris and Gwyneth? You know, did we consciously uncouple? Absolutely not. But I would say most people who've gone through a divorce would say, you know, your wedding day's lovely, your divorce bit's not so lovely. <laughs> But with six years water under the bridge, I think you can look back on something and and realise, you know, that was a, a it was a huge part of my life. B, mm. I got Lewis, and there were some amazing times, you know. And you learn you learn a lot from yourself in in a relationship. And I guess I had different things to learn because of the spotlight and because of the pressure and because of even having to let go of caring what other people think, mm. you know, no, if you're written about, or if somebody kind of, you see the nudge and, or, you know, you think you've never met me. Like you're going on something you might think about the person I was married to or a shit photo of me. It's like, yeah. you know, so, so that was hard for a while wanting to go up to everyone and go, we're, we're really nice people. <laughs> we're really normal. We just do pizza and goodwill hunting on a Friday. You know, it's, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, there's, I think there's, that's a good thing about growing older, isn't it? You, you care less about the things you can't control than that they're actually not important. Well, you've got a huge amount of empathy as well. And that's one of the, you know, the very strong traits about you is that you're very, you know, you're, you're feeling, you've got a lot of feeling yeah. around things. And so, you know, and you're always thinking, what? Crystals. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to talk about this. Um, but, you know, I think we, we talked about this, you know, before, but that part, that learning that you go on in every experience, it's very much taking you on your journey and obviously moving you in the direction you're meant to be going in. So where do you think it's taken you? Like what was that part about for you? Obviously, Lewis and, and you know, learning about yourself, but where in terms of you and where you're at now, was that part of the, your history that had to happen? I guess I was talking to somebody this morning about um, the word regret. She'd sort of been speaking at an event and, and the, the, you know, the person hosting had asked about regrets and she didn't know really what to say. And I'm a big believer in the universe and, you know, you walk the path that you're meant to. And even in the middle of something that seems really difficult, later on you can take a bit of perspective and go, but I've grown because of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm very much someone who... I don't have regrets, you know, we've all had learnings and sometimes sometimes the tough bits actually, they give you the most substance, don't they? And they, yeah. they mean that you, you see the beauty and the happiness and the calm and the serenity in a situation. If life was, you know, like utopia, we'd be like, oh, wouldn't we? You know, if everything's perfect. So I'm, yeah, I, I think I've I don't really know if I answered your question, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think I, I think you know. I guess where I'm heading is you know your path to being Kath Mahoney. Yes. I quit my day job. You know, it, you got there because of all the pieces of your life that you tread through in that yeah. journey leading up to that point. But you know, you being the person that you are, potentially you know for the period that you were kind of taking the more of a backseat in the in your life. You know, what did that do for you? Did that kind of take, give you time to look at you, who you were and what was important to you and the fact that you do, you know, need to own your own personality and your own career and that? I think being a publicist and being behind the scenes and then being a support person to somebody Mm -hmm. like Andrew, who was very, you know, that was his career, that was his light shone on him, that was his highs and lows. I think it just sort of set me up. I mean, look, what it certainly did was it, it took, 
it took me away from me for quite a while. I couldn't, I couldn't be self-deprecating. I couldn't overshare because it would literally be, you know, I, I mean, I, I, when I started to write, I remember doing a story about, you know, an unbalanced vagina and always having thrush. And I think, God, could you imagine if I'd written that story? Like, I mean, I look at, I sit in wet bathers for two minutes and I'm like, well, that's a tube of caniston. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think I, I wrote that story to overshare and be funny and to resonate yeah. with women who go, oh my God, that bit where you sat on the chair and you're not in a meeting and you're like, so itchy, it's horrible. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't have written that because it would have been like, Joey's wife has thrush, you know? And it's like, so, so you, I just became... I mean, this sounds so over the top. Dial down version. Yeah, I felt like I just got a bit, you know, like a dimmer switch on a light. I just got yeah. a bit less calf and less calf and less calf. And then, yeah. you know, as you do towards the end of a marriage when it's obviously not working, you know, you, you're second guessing everything. And so coming out of that marriage and getting through that bumpy first year, which is not fun, I just started to like, I just, I don't know, the dimmer switch went the other way. And I, I just went, I'm not, I'm not doing anything to hurt anyone. I'm just, I loved making people laugh when I was a kid at school. I loved making people laugh at Sony Music, you know, yeah. or I met Andrew. And now I just think, that's me. That's me. It's going to turn it up. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you know, you'll clear a room, but you'll also find people that, that go, oh, that made me giggle, you know, and I think yeah. that's the whole thing, isn't it? You're not everyone, you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And is that when you started writing again or, <laughs> enjoy, mm-hmm. uh, is that is that when you kind of, is was it writing? Did you start journaling? Yeah, did yeah. You, yeah. Did you start when, blogging? When I, I know you released some of your blogs and things. Yeah, back in the day, you know, back in the blog days, I know you're digital and you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was like WordPress. Lewis was two and a half, three. I'd, I'd got a job two days a week, you know, working at the NRL in their community team, which I loved. But, mm. you know, when you've got little kids, your brain goes a bit blah. And so I just started to write. So it was, you know, I, I just started to write. And it would be it would be stories like, I love my husband, but if he got hit by a truck and was in a coma for 10 years or a shark bit off his face and he couldn't kiss me anymore, who would I like to marry next? You know, and it was basically Tom Hardy, you know, kind of Paul Newman, just stupid stuff that I could kind of share. And, you know, it was it was just really probably about 20 people that knew me that would read it, but they'd call and have a giggle. Yeah, and then I put that on the back burner because I got... We got divorced. Everything fell apart a bit. You don't feel so creative when you're trying to get through that fog. And it was when I'd been working with Fitzy and Whipper in the breakfast show for about about 18 months. My friend just said, stop saying you're going to write. Just bloody get a website. And I was like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, Tash Sefton. You know what you do. <laughs> and she was like, she's like Squarespace, you know. It's, she's like, it's so easy to do. It's like $30 a month. Shut up and just start doing it. So I was yeah. like, oh, actually the hard talk of that one. And I did, you know, I spent a couple of weeks trying to work out how the F to use Squarespace. <laughs> and I go, Tash, how did you get? And she's like, there's a video tutorial, just search. And I'd be like, damn, because you kind of want someone to do it for you. Mm-hmm. you technophobe. So was that the website for So I Quit My Day Job? No, I started, it's just katherinemahoney.com. Yeah, okay. Um, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure I was going to quit my day job at that point. <laughs> okay, yeah, so you were just publishing your... So I wrote a story, I wrote a story about the, the highs and lows of being a single parent and, you know, Lewis telling me that he only had one ball. He was like six <laughs> at the time. And he, and he said this, he was like, 
he said, I've got a new name for girls, like bits. I was like, what's that? And he said, no balls. And I was like, okay, <laughs> six-year-old in the car. And he said, yeah, because I've got one ball. And I was like, have you? Are you sure? And then, like, I literally got him home, threw him in the lounge, called my girlfriend who's got, like, three boys. And I went, what's the ball situation? Like, has he got one? Will it split and drop? I don't know. And she was like just get him on the floor and just and so, like poor Lewis he, he doesn't remember this thank goodness anyway I had to feel around and there were two so I was like Lewis you've got two but that whole panic get me like that I was like I'm not, I didn't know if you'd be able to I didn't know what it meant gosh and so I wrote that and my friend who I'd worked at Channel 9 with they just launched Nine Honey and I shared it on my Facebook and she's like send it to us and we'll republish it you know and I'd started to work with Kids Spot because of Nova and and so I got one republished for free and they, they both sort of said, if you write something and you just for us, we'll pay you. I was like, pay me? <laughs> and that was it, you know, first one for free. And then I would I just would go, I've got an unbalanced vagina. Do you want to buy that story? Yeah, we do. Great. Okay. Nine <laughs> Honey couldn't have come at a better time, right? It was brilliant. <laughs> and there was a great website called Women that was part of news.com as well. Yeah. It was just... You could be silly, you know, like I wrote a story about, I was convinced that the people who'd moved in next to me were either running a meth lab or were like chopping up bodies because some of their movements. And so I did this whole like taking the piss, crime, like me hanging out through my plantations, you know, like stalking them with the pie and everything else that the cops were doing. <laughs> And it went, it went viral and, and it went really big in America because it was a crime story on the Facebook. And you'd have all these people, I wouldn't want to li live next door to that nosy neighbour. I, like, I was like, it was a joke. I was using some comedic sort. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God, this is brilliant. So yeah, that's... that's we're able to just kind of be, kind of let go and be as creative and as, as wild as you wanted to with your writing. And, and there was actually even a market for it. So not only were you able to just kind of get that out for you but you were able to sell yeah. it and commercialize it as well I know it's like amazing you know and so it was good to be able to they gave me a column called too much information perfect <laughs> you know and I did serious stuff I talked about the benefits of, of seeking help when you're not feeling good in the head mm. and when my marriage broke down and suddenly you know I'm vomiting in my boss's lift because they've had too much vodka and no food and I'm having to clean it up at four in the morning in tears thinking Maybe I'm not coping with this uh, separation <laughs> so well. Maybe I should go and talk to someone. And and just how I've I've kept someone that I see regularly ever since. So it was nice to be able to write stories that that were, were maybe what other women wanted to hear yeah. or to talk about. And for me, have the balls, you know, the balls to sort of put it out there. Yeah, I was going to say that. You know, we kind of. I mean, we're talking probably how many years? Six years ago that this was Very going going through this. But I mean you know international women's day yesterday and i was watching abc news last night and it was just all the stories weren't positive you know good life stories about women they were kind of like real life stories about the the differences that women have to experience still today and obviously yeah. we've been going through a very big media you know hype in australia at the moment around what's happening in women politics and things like this you kind of were ahead of the curve back then kind of talking in a very open brave way about women women's issues and the things that women were going through what kind of put you in that frame to be feel confident enough to be able to put that out there what was I know you'd been through the, the marriage breakup but was did you just feel like it was a time and a moment that you needed to support other women I, th I think it's just stuff that 
it, it was like water cooler chats at work, mm-hmm. you know, or conversations you'd have with your girlfriends in the park when the kids were on the swing, you know, it was normalizing everything that we're all going through. And it was even talking about, there is no, you know, remember this is six years ago, there is no shame about going on a dating app, you know, there is no shame with swiping and, you know, maybe don't agree to meet the guy in the high vis who's like, you know, <laughs> in the crocodile's mouth with a gun in a dark place without telling anyone, but be open to it because at yeah. a time, especially, I mean, not, not to trivialize it and just make it about dating, but but when you've come out of a marriage breakup and you're at a different age than you were, you know, going into that sort of experience and having a child or children, it isn't just like going to the disco, you know, at 25 and meet someone at the bar. The reality is you might have one night child free. Therefore, you know, you might have to do some swiping between watching Netflix shows and that's okay. You know, so <laughs> it was putting that sort of stuff out there and, and also hopefully giving people permission to laugh at my expense, you know, was yeah. like my shtick if I, if I had something. Yeah. yeah. Do you, I mean, you are the funny person, but does that sometimes, do you find it, do you like people laughing at you or does sometimes you feel vulnerable when that happens? Like, no, I like people laughing at me. You know, yeah. I think, I, I mean, I think like anyone, you kind of want to have given them the, the joke that they're laughing at. <laughs> you don't want them to be laughing, you know, at you rather than with you but but now I think I feel comfortable in that space you know I, I you know if, you, if we wanted to have a really high-end kind of intellectual chat I'd probably feel out of my comfort zone whereas comedy and humor and self-deprecation is, is kind of somewhere I feel very comfortable. Well that where did that come from I mean is this something that you kind of we were in a very funny household yourself or is yeah, oh, my, my dad my dad is hilarious my mum's funny too but my dad's very um dry and funny but I really think and this is like so sad to admit but we moved to South Wales and I was about four I'm tall and five foot nine and a lot of a lot of people in in Wales are quite small <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a generalization there's also tall Welsh people but I was always that kind of tall kid and and you know when everyone else was kind of dutty and and beautiful and cute and sweet and maybe 14 and I just was like this really awkward sort <laughs> so and then my two best friends were like half my height and blonde and looked like Kylie Minnick, you know and were delicious <sighs> comedy was my way to talk to talk, talk to boys I suppose you know I was always I'll do the funnies. Yeah, my friends are hot. (laughs) I think it just started like that and and enjoying making people laugh, I think was my, just, it's it's a good feeling laughing. Oh yeah, it's great. And, you know, I feel like I've not stopped laughing the whole way through this interview so far. (laughs) So I'm sorry. But I want to talk about so I quit my day job because this is really what for me, even though I you had such an incredible, you know, story up until this point, this is what defines you. And and yeah. this is the part where you're at the front, you're center stage, you're on screen and you know, putting yourself out there. Tell us all about it. Tell us how you kind of left your cushy job at Nova and you know, with the funnies and did yeah. this. Yeah, look, I think I I always wanted to, I've wanted to write a book for a long time. And so for me, it was the writing and the the columns were setting me up because I wanted to write, you know, and I, and I thought doing breakfast radio and working, it's called part-time, but it's not. You're working from like 5.30am till one and then school pick up. So I always thought, oh, I'll just write in that time between, but you're knackered, you know, and it just, pardon me, it didn't work. 
So I'd started to feel like I might need to step away from the day job to write the book. At the same time, ACAST and Nova had a partnership. They'd been together for a couple of years. ACAST is a huge podcast provider and platform. And they were in our office and I was like, podcast. I'm like, oh, great. You know, like, I want to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. I love talking and telling stories. And I've always wanted to be, you know, like, you know, Graham Norton slash, you know, Mr. Parkinson. But I didn't know what to do for the pod. So I kept bothering the head of podcasting. I was like, what can I do? <laughs> they were like, have you got an idea? And one of, one of them, Andy Milne, who's now over in Apple, I think he's in iTunes over in LA now. He's, he's yeah. had a great man. He's like, you should tell your stories. And I was like, that's a monologue. I'm not sure I can do that for more than a few minutes. But that's what I started to do. And Darcy Milne, who you know well, mm-hmm. over at the time, Kate Timamadi's award-winning producer, I started to record my story. So whatever story I wrote about, I would go in and record it. And then it would be like a five-minute pod about me talking about having to use a load of cuddly toys to pop off into <laughs> when I was staying over at my new boyfriend's house because he wasn't ready to know I was quite windy in the morning. You know, <laughs> so I would narrate my stories and I just put them out there. And, and that was kind of it. I didn't really think anything else of it. And where were, where were these going? Were these going up on ACAST? They were going on ACAST, but obviously yeah. I had no amplification apart from, you know, my, my social media. So, yeah. you know, they, they were going okay, but they weren't, you know, take, they weren't taking the world on. Yeah. And that was fine because I had a day job. And then it, it reached a point where two people in my life sadly got sick with cancer. And I just had one of those moments where you realise we are not here forever you know, and that this, I want to do this thing, or, you know, I'm going to get a book, blah, 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 but you're not, and that's not happening, and you need to work and do it, and so my partner at the time and I, we talked about it a lot, he was very supportive, I spoke to my mortgage broker, Mortgage Steve, and I was like, (laughs) you know, can I get, can I draw like maybe 20 or 30 grand, you know, and, and I just thought if I've got enough to give myself a little wage, and I'm topped up with my my columns, I'm going to go for it, you know, and, and, and yeah. as I said, my partner was like, you need to at least try this, let's yeah. give it a year, and I was like, okay, and so um, I, you know, resigned, and I gave Nova three months, because that's what you do, don't you, when you love your job, and you love the people, but you, you know, you want to kind of, which was good and bad, which was too long, actually, in hindsight, because you're yeah. sort of out of the door in your, in your head once yeah. you've resigned, and I think it was Darcy that said, why don't you document leaving your job, leaving your job and let's follow you to see how the book stuff goes. So I came up with So I Quit My Day Job and I thought, okay, well, maybe I can talk to other people who've quit their day job. And that's what I did. I knew I needed amplification because I'm, I wasn't known remotely, you know, apart from friends and family. And so I'd been writing for women, the News um, Corp mm-hmm. site. And I just approached them and said, would you like to partner on a podcast? And they were like, great, if you can produce it, you, you know, we can, you know, we'll run it through our, um, set, you will run it online. And then they're like, and you can write a story. So for each guest, you can write a column. Amazing. So like, Great. And that's what I did, you know, and I, I started with a season of 10 and releasing a podcast every week of uh, interviews and, and then rounding up people, a lot of people in your network and people that you knew and had relationships with to who'd also done what you'd done. And yeah, just became like a detective, you know, like <laughs> I, I just remember you'd see stories on the Daily Mail or, or it was funny as soon as I started to think about people I knew because I wanted that mix of, of celebrity and well-known yeah. to help grow the audience 
and because I, ha- I had a friendship with them and I knew they had a good story. But then to also talk to the people that you didn't know, you know, like mm. one of my guests was a virgin hostie for years. And then she ended up working in a funeral home for three years. And that, that kind of story, you know, I was like, that's a great story. And, and then people just started to come forward. And, be, you know, like literally now, every week I get between two and eight pictures a week. You're like, because there are so many great stories out there. And do you get them all? Do you, do you listen to all those pictures? Like, do you listen to all those stories or does some stand out and some just... I do. Um, and I think sometimes when they come from a PR person, Sometimes you've got to look deeper because what can be an amazing 800 word story on a news.com or a daily mail, how is that going to translate in, in a long form at between 45 minute an hour conversation? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there is a little bit of that and you go with your gut. I've not had anyone that's been a dud, you know, everyone that I've, I've, I've had has been, luckily has been a great chat and not one I've had to go. Been your favorite chat. If you can choose. You'd say that. I don't <laughs> A hundred of them. There's so many. Just the, still stand out for you. I've, I've got to say they all stand out. And in, and in the moment when I'm interviewing them, you just, you just, the great thing about the context of the pod is you are talking to somebody about a dream that they followed. Mm. But you have this kind of exchange of energy and joy because you're not saying, oh, my God, you've got an ingrown toenail. Tell me how much that hurt. <laughs> you're saying, you followed your dream. Tell me how you got there, you know, and they light up. And it's yeah. a full exchange. And it's, you know, and it's, it's a guy who had trained in Japan to be a music teacher who then spent years researching skin because he had bad skin. And now he has rationale. You know, he's a skincare guru and, and that product's incredible. One of my other favourites was Donna, who I flew to the Gold Coast to interview. She was a hairdresser and decided she wanted to be a crime scene cleaner. I listened to that one. Yeah, that was brilliant. And I remember she was like, we're still mates. That's a great thing. You become (laughs) friends with these people because you're sharing their story. And recently I was doing a Zoom for Lewis's school to meet his mentor teacher. And she was a really passionate lady and she was a geography teacher And she'd been in the world of finance. She'd been in banking her entire life. At 39, she decided to go to uni for the first time. And now she's a geography teacher. And and she's the teacher that her kids are going to remember for the rest of their lives because she's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, makeup artists to candle makers. Yeah. Magazines to baby whisperer. Like, they're just... Yeah. they're great like that kind of I mean and damn you COVID for pivot but you know they were, that's that was my word before 2020 hit so, yeah. <laughs> what do you think you know when you kind of interview all these people and and they've all made this massive shift or transition in their life and you have too yeah. you know what do you feel is the kind of the common piece that each of those people have between them is it is it the fact that they might have been forced down or kind of pushed down a path and then realized who they are at a later stage what's the common part I feel like everyone's just embracing a part two of their life Mm. and that we are not the generation anymore that is going to do that 50 years and get the gold clock and the retirement (laughs) cake you know and, and that's wonderful for people who who have that experience but I think what we were told or what we thought at school and at uni, you know, you've got to get a degree and then you've got to get a house and a mortgage and you've got to have a job. It's that things have changed. Sometimes I've, I've noticed a lot with people that money hasn't been the driver for part two. Right. It's been, it's been joy or it's been something that they've always wanted to do, or it's, you know, 
actually, I don't want to be a lawyer, you know, anymore. Mm. I've, I, had, I had a lovely lady who was an entertainment lawyer and she spent the last 10 years as an energetic healer. Mm. I mean, you couldn't get any more corporate to, to crystals, you know, it's kind of. Do you think do you think people don't care as much about money or they get to a point in their life where they're kind of set up and they don't need that part as running as high as they used to? What is it that allows them to do that? I, I Look, I think everyone I've spoke to pretty much has either had some savings set aside or they have started life two or part two as a side hustle. Yeah. You know, they've kind of, like I did with the writing, gave it a bit of a go to making a bit of money, you know, and then, okay, yeah. let's give it a go. But also what resounds to me is you can't undo your first career. Yeah. You know, like I can't undo 20 years of being a publicist. So if this all ends tomorrow for me, I can go back to that. And I think that's what a lot of people said. They were like, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. Worst that can happen is I, you know, might have lost a bit of pride, a bit of time and a bit of money, but I can go back to X, you know? And I think, I, I just think the people I've spoken to have just not looked back. Yeah. You know, has it been a dream ride? No, life is life and business, yeah. you know, has its ups and downs, but yeah, they're, they're just kind of, they're looking forward and going forward. It's exciting. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, it feels that there are lots of people who have a side hustles, but also have dreams that are bubbling away in the background that they're trying to realise in one way, shape or form. And, you know, I think your podcast series really inspires people. Have you had any nice feedback from people who have listened to your podcast and, you know, made the leap? So many people reach out, you know, and it's often about the ones that you wouldn't have you know what I mean? It hasn't. It doesn't have to be the well-known people that have yeah. inspired them. I've had so much feedback from the lady that was in finance and is now a teacher. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think the good thing about having a longer-form podcast is it's not a ten minutes. Well, I did this, and then I did that, and then I got a loan, and now I'm this. You, you go through the story with them, and you you're there with them the night before they hand their resignation in, and <laughs> you're there when nobody turns up to the first week of the new salon, and you know it's like that kind of the highs and lows. I don't know. I've I've got people that reach out and share, you know, on socials so much. I've got a lovely audience, and and again, I think because I'm a podcast that's being insightful and joyful on the whole, mm. people want to hear it. And there's mm. a couple of funnies in there too. And do you think that there's a common kind of trait in all the people that have made that leap? Is it some, is it braveness or is it boldness? What is, what's the common part, you know, personality trait? I think just self-belief, you know, enough self-belief and that they've turned down that fear voice. You know, you can't Mm. do this, you can't do this. And they've sort of focused in and, and some people have needed financial support from family or banks, you know, and some people have not made the leap without their husband or wife saying yes. And some of them have just literally quit a job and gone home and said, this is what I'm doing, darling. You know? So it's like, I had a lo- lovely lady called a healthy mummy and she was in magazines. She was in advertising sales and she couldn't see anything nutritional <clears throat> on the market for, for, you know, pregnant ladies and, and new mums. And that was her phase. And she was six months pregnant. She gave up a job. She convinced her husband to put their house on the market and they did. And now 10 years later, you know, she's, she's got a global business, you know, and she just was like, I just backed myself. Mm. And I always thought, if this doesn't work, I'll go back to what I did. But that's how much self-belief, you know, she had. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, listening to your podcast and the interviews that you've been doing, that is really what I take away from it is that you're instilling that kind of self-belief in people that I can do it. I can interview people that are doing, you can do it too. Yes. I mean, that's a fantastic kind of legacy to leave behind in itself. But you've been within your podcast, So I Quit My Day Job, you've been doing Around the Grounds and Not Another Parenting Podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those two? Yes. Yes. So when we were in lockdown, God bless it, 2020, I, you know, like everyone else, I lost work. I lost the columns. I lost the website that the podcast was linked to women, you know, sort of ended, which is very sad. Um, And I had obviously, like everyone else, a lot more time at home. And I just, for my own sanity, as much as I think, I thought I could do another episode. I ended up doing two extra episodes and I called it Around the Grounds. So it was to, to reach out to my network that, that were people that were interesting but hadn't, hadn't had that traditional quit. I knew I had to keep the brand so I quit as that so that people were coming knowing what they were getting. But Around the Grounds meant that I could interview people like Matt Moran, you know, Fitzy, Miv Warhurst, Ash London, people that just had a great story. So last week's episode of Around the Grounds was Amanda Keller, you know, so you, you get to talk to these people and, and you get to, you get to have an hour with them. You know, it's in, in our media world, everything's so quick. So you might hear Amanda Keller for five minutes, somewhere being interviewed about her new book. Whereas, you know, this was a let's deep, you know, let's dig a bit deeper. So that's Around the Grounds. I've just launched another episode under the So I Quit brand, which is called Book Club, which cunningly is a book club episode (laughs) where I get to talk to an author. So my inaugural episode was Meg Mason, who's a wonderful Australian writer, whose third book, Sorrow and Bliss, has just been picked up by New Regal. That's the film company who did 12 Years a Slave, Bohemian Rhapsody, Little Women. So that was a bit bloody yeah. nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a little bit of a, you know, bucket list moment. Sorrow and Bliss. Sorrow and Bliss. Yeah. <laughs> Meg Mason. She was, that's a hell, that's a very funny episode. She is a talented lady. So that's So I Quit. And then Not Another Parenting Podcast is a podcast with Nova, Nova Entertainment, featuring my lovely friend, Sarah McGilvray, who is on air with Fitzy and Whipper for breakfast. And Basically, in a nutshell, it's a podcast for parents who wonder why daycare is closed on the weekend. <laughs> so it is not a tips and tricks podcast. It's uh, what do you do when you're having a special cuddle and your four-year-old walks in. <laughs> and that's Sarah's story, not mine. So yeah, so that's that is more life behind parenting as opposed to simple <laughs> tips. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, all of those, I'd had to listen to not another parenting podcast on the weekend. And- and was laughing out loud, belly laughing for about an hour. So yeah, I highly recommend it to anyone who's a parent and yeah, needs to have a little bit of a laugh. And I can't, you know, wrap up an interview with you without having a chat about Lewis. I mean, tell us about Lewis. He is literally a golden child. And every time I see a photo of him, I just, he just glows. What's you know, what's it like being a mom? You're, you know, doing it on your own largely. Tell us all about that. He was less golden this morning. He was less, less golden in the morning. I get a lot of love you mums and hugs at night time, but he's, he started to hit the slight crankies in the morning. I'm like, okay, keep <laughs> that energy, Lou. Um, you know, let's just shake that off. Um, no, he's delicious. He's delicious. And I, I always say to people, I hate the term single parent because it, mm-hmm. just, it just takes me back to little Britain. 
and putting <laughs> pollard, pushing the push show with the 16 kids to 15 dads. And, you know, it always sounds like you're so downtrodden, but I like solo or super parent. Yeah. Right? Because I think when you are doing it on your own, you have to wear all the hats, you know. And parenting it, definitely needs a rebrand, that's for sure. Because it needs a rebrand. Everyone it needs is a rebrand. Gonna have a period of it, you know, in this day and age, it seems yes. more and more common for that to happen to people. And yeah, um, your parent, I think. I think you're super parent. parent. You should, you know, you should get your new Medicare card with just your two names on and a cape. That's what they should give you in the Medicare. Good luck. And you're going to need superpowers. No, you know, it's it's challenging at times and you feel, you still feel like a bit of a loser. You know, when it comes to Lewis going to school camp for the first time the other week and it was just me and you see everyone else at the moment had you know, and in my head, I go, well, you don't know. They might not even like each other. <laughs> at, least, at least you're not at home arguing with anyone because it's just you. You know, and I think we, Lewis was five when Andrew and I split. And so he has very little memories of us together as a family unit. And, you know, as I said before, Andrew's a great dad. And I think one thing we do really well is co-parent. And so, you know, Lewis, I think Lewis just has the best of both worlds. He gets yeah. on two holidays. You know, he I know you. Lives uh, at the beach with dad. You know, he lives. He lives. You know, in a nice place. You know, in, in sort of in, in a city with me. No, it's good. And I and I and I think I said this to you off air. If we'd stayed together, they were such you know kickballs and go surfing together. I I sometimes not felt left out, but I'm not going to go surfing. So. Pardon me, I would naturally then either go to the gym or you'd be at home doing the bacon sandwiches when they came back. And so that one one really good thing is I think I've probably got a better relationship with Lewis now because we just have, we do our things and we do what we like as a two, you know, and I'm not just stood on the beach with a towel while they're doing, you know, dad and, and son <laughs> stuff. And then he gets to do all that with dad. So I think I think he's fairly rounded, but he's a good kid with a good heart He's recently joined Instagram, which has scared the living daylights out of me because I'm I'm a bit more more so that I'm like, what? Maybe I'm going to have to think about what I post. I posted something on our own hashtag. I was like, hashtag hangover free. And I said, oh, shit. Lewis is on my podcast. I, I called my mum on the weekend and she was like, well, can you block him? I was like, Maybe. I said, I don't, as long as I can see what he's doing. But I was like, wow, well, that's something I hadn't thought of. Yeah. I know. Well, and probably that Instagram that he's given you access to is the parent version. And he's got one. He's probably got his, his like, you know, dope one that's kind of, or whatever <laughs> the young people say these days. But yeah, no, I, yeah, he's, a, he's, I'm very lucky. We're very lucky. He's a good kid. Yeah, no, he's, he certainly definitely looks like a good kid. And, um, and that's, you know, I think you're right. And what you you nailed there again, I think is something that you've kind of, the thread that's been coming through this conversation is really about identity and, you know, that it's easy and it's kind of comfortable sometimes to just fall into a marriage or a relationship or a workplace where you can just kind of hide a little bit and it's hard to bring yourself out to the front and really step forward and do what is in your heart. And I think that seems to me to be the kind of underpinning of your journey is really kind of that growth that you've gone through to be Kath Mahoney, Catherine Mahoney, you know, you in in something that was meant to happen. That was always yeah. from the moment I met you, you were Kath Mahoney, but it's really you've pushed yourself forward and kind of, beyond adversity done that 
very clearly and you must be very proud I'm very proud of you what a lovely thing to say yeah I I feel like I've got I feel like this is my part two yeah I'm 46 but I feel like I'm 26 and I'm just super excited at all the opportunities that I'm having you know Sarah and I were on TV the other week on Channel 9 talking about the podcast and then I got to see all the people I used to work with at Channel 9 and they were like we just saw you on the telly yeah. and I'm like I know it's so weird being you know in the front but I'm I'm loving it yeah I'm really loving it I've truly I feel grateful and I you know I know you know it makes me want to probably punch me in the face but I'm just full of gratitude that I'm getting to do all these brilliant things so no I'm I'm just I'm over the moon life is really good I feel very lucky to be where I'm oh, at in the world well it's uh, you know it feels like no time at all and we've seen each other on social media over the years but we've you know not had a big chat like this for a long long time so it's been absolutely wonderful to chat with you today I want to wrap up with just two little questions I know <laughs> that uh, you're prepared for but also that you know I'm really <laughs> curious to hear about and one of them is tell us a book that you have just have recommended to 10 million people. You love it. And well, this is, yeah. this might not necessarily be that book, but the book that changed my life would be Roald Dahl's The Twits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because that was the book that got me reading. I was like, this is fabulous. And she's got the beard and he's got the beard. He's got the lady beard. He's got the cornflakes on the beard. They keep putting bits on there, like walking sticks, so they look like they're shrinking. And it just, it just brought reading to life for me. So uh, you know, hats off to Roald Dahl. He was a literary genius. So yeah, that book I always think of as the book that got me into reading because it's not yeah. a given. It's not a given that people are going to get into reading and certainly not kids nowadays with all the devices and things. So, so yes, Adrian Mole's diary, Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, G, all the Judy Blooms, you know, through to the Bridget Joneses. Sense of an Ending is, is quite a somber book, but I love that. The Alchemist, I'm never without a copy of The Alchemist. So I would <laughs> say after the twits, that would probably be the, the book that I would, would make sure people read, especially at a time when they wonder why they're where they're at and it isn't quite where they wanted to be. I think The Alchemist is a great read to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm I'm not where I am. Yeah. And you've got a megaphone and you're able to broadcast to the world. What is your message right now? My message would be stop being afraid. Like stop, you know, if fear is the one thing that is stopping you, do something. Don't let it. You know, I I, I feel like I spent a lot of time worrying, worrying about what other people would think about me worrying what journos might think about me when I was, you know, in that relationship, just worrying, worrying. And, and a girlfriend who works in, in branding, especially working with women, said to me, okay, well, well, who are these people that you're worried about, you know? And I was like, just everyone. And she's like, no, no, give them a name and a face. And I, was, I worked on it and I was like, my God. So basically somebody that bullied me when I was 11 <laughs> and the next boyfriend who's a complete knob, you know, and he was like, do you think either of those people do not do something because they're worried what Catherine Mahoney's going to think? And I'm like, oh my God, light bulb moment, they would not care. And so, you know, I just got on my white horse and off I went, you know, and I think, I think if you come from a place of love and that you're not doing anything that's going to hurt anyone else, if the only person you're throwing under the bus in my case is me, don't be afraid, just go for it. You know, yeah. and as I said earlier, if, if the worst thing is that it doesn't work out and you have to revert to plan A or plan B, it's not the end of the world. 
Kath, this has been like joyous. You've given me sore cheeks and and a last and it's our <laughs> chin line as we get older. Yeah, smart. that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Cheaper than a facelift. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for agreeing to be a guest today. It's been fascinating, and you know, everyone out there, go and listen. Go and listen to the podcast, and yeah, we will look forward to seeing the rise continue. Mia, it's been a pleasure and you're very good at this. As someone who usually has to ask the questions, you're very good at this. So thank you very much. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from A Moment with Modern Mentors coming your way soon.